Welcome to Veterans in Academics. This podcast highlights people and topics where the veteran experience and academia overlap. Join your host, Dr. Luke McLeese, in this groundbreaking content. Each week, we explore new stories, topics for you. Good afternoon, everyone. This is another episode of Veterans in Academics. I'm your host, Dr. Luke McLeese. And today, we have a very special guest with us. His name is Matt Criccio. And Matt, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, sir? Yeah, so like the doctor said, my name is Matt Criccio. I served in the Navy for six years, and I had a very interesting path because I never went on a ship once. I was in uh, what we affectionately called the Dirt Navy. So I was an interrogator, uh, source handler, which when I want to be cool, I say I was a spy master and counterintelligence agent working with Naval Special Warfare, which is more commonly known as the SEAL teams. I did that. Okay. I'm sorry. Yeah. Very interesting. Very yeah, interesting. So I got out in 2013. I actually already had a bachelor's degree in English and I enlisted, which is kind of a long story. Got out. I entered a Master in Fine Arts Fiction program in 2014. Graduated from that in 2017. And among the many things I actually do at this point, I teach now creative writing and honors exposition at Virginia Commonwealth University, which is my alma mater. Very cool. Very cool. Nice. Well, okay. So we're, we're looking forward to getting into some of these details, Matt. And so you mentioned what you did in the Navy and, and you know, when you got out and everything. Can you tell us a little bit about that background? What, what prompted you, Matt, to join the Navy? And, you know, you mentioned some of the jobs that you did in the Navy. Can you give us a little more detail about that? Yeah, so I think like a lot of people, I come from a multi-generational military service family. And so, you know, it just wasn't my grandfather's in World War II. My dad was in the Navy for 23 years. My brother was in the Marine Corps for 10 years. My brother-in-law was in the Navy for eight years. Even my wife was in the Navy. So service in my house was looked upon as, I mean, I wouldn't say it was an obligation, but it was definitely something that was worthwhile. I was 17 when September 11th happened, and my dad was still in the Navy at that point. Okay. And I felt compelled to do something. I actually thought I was going to become a firefighter at that point, but I decided that I would go to school and then enter the Navy as an officer, which didn't happen. I'm one of those people that went to SEAL training and I actually got hurt and dropped from the training. Okay. Through that, I found the path to being an intelligence specialist. So in the Navy, our MOSs are called NECs, intelligence specialists, one of those. And around the time, this was 2008, the Navy was standing up a human intelligence program. Okay. They were sending Navy intelligence specialists to Marine Corps interrogation, counterintelligence, human intelligence schools. And I was one of the lucky ones who, you know, either through, through a heavy combination of skill and luck got selected for that. And so I went to Marine Corps. Um, I went to the Marine Corps school in Damneck, which is a seven-month program at that point, which I surprisingly got there and found out there was a super high attrition rate. So that was uh, surprising. And I, I loved it. I graduated as the honor man in my class. Awesome. Um, I, was, I, was, I was all in on it. It was a very interesting experience being with the Marines. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Marines are an interesting bunch for sure. 
so tell me, sir. So you mentioned earlier that, you know, you called it the dirt Navy and you, and you know, you talked about your training for what would be your position. What were some of your experiences in the Navy, especially for a guy in the Navy who's never set foot on a ship? Yeah. So, um, there's definitely a culture divide, which is interesting. I was obviously with NSW, so special forces or special operations. And the, uh, the relaxed attitude was very, uh, I loved it because it gave me the freedom to do my job creatively, which is, you know, really interesting given like what I do now. I'm intrinsically motivated, which I think a lot of veterans are, especially when they get out, they kind of realize that they have that good combination of intrinsic motivation and discipline and being intrinsically motivated in that environment allowed me to do, you know, good things on deployment. So I deployed Afghanistan with a SEAL team. I ran a, I ran a unit inside of the broader team and we conducted the full scope of operations. So we did interrogations, we had local national sources, and then we did some in counterintelligence stuff. And it was good. It was, it was cool to do everything I learned in school in real life. And I guess this is sort of, this is the critique of academics and see the gulf between how it's taught and how it's really done. Right. And I, I think that served me very well when I teach students the difference between the ideals. And so in my case, it's the craft of writing and then the reality of if you want to be in the market with your writing. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Very interesting. Very interesting. And let me ask you something about writing because, you know, here's something I, I've experienced working with thousands of veterans. And, you know, when it comes to report writing in the military, uh, five paragraph orders, you know, giving field reports and all this stuff, it's very concise and to the point. And sometimes it's hard for them to go to higher education and someone say, okay, let's talk about this subject for pages on in when they're used to just saying, this is what happened. This is why it happened. How do you feel, how do you feel that already having a degree in English and, and creative writing kind of influenced you in the military? Because you, you mentioned that you had a, a job where you did have more creative parameters than you know what people stereotypically think as a, a military type job. Yeah, so um, that's an interesting question. First, my job actually aligned really well with that because as opposed to the movies, most of this is writing reports. Most of being a quote unquote spy is writing reports. And what was particularly um, serendipitous was intelligence reports or narrative. So okay. I already knew how to write a narrative and it, it helped me. You do, you do kind of biographical reports on your sources and those are narratives. And then you do reports on the actual meeting you had. Like, we met here, we did this, narrative. So I felt set up for success. It was complete luck because, you know, when, when, when I did the type of reporting that you're talking about, which is also part and parcel of the whole job, that wasn't that. So I think, I think one thing that veterans who are entering school can do is they've participated in the planning process at some level. And I think if you use the principles of, the, of whatever planning process was in your service, that that will set you up for success when you're writing papers, whether it's for your English classes, history classes, sociology classes, when you have to do analysis, if you use the principles of the planning process, which is essentially looking at a problem, breaking it down, right. putting it into perspective, and then coming to a conclusion about it, you will write a paper that is serviceable. So you already know how to do it. And right. one thing I'm very big on is talent is real. 
and it's undeniable and it's, it's the fuel for the engine, but skills are so much more important. And I think everything is a skill. And so when you come to school, there is nothing, no one has anything over you because they either are straight from high school or they have, they have more life experience or, you know, whatever these factors you think make people quote unquote better at school than you. It's a skill. Learning is a skill. Analysis is a skill. Learn the skill acquire the skill and you can be successful. Right, right, that's great. That's great advice for everyone. So talk to us a little about, you know, you have this job in the military that applies great to something that you had studied. And so now it's your your time is winding down in the military. Tell us about what motivated you for your transition and how your transition was and what happened when you were leaving the Navy? I always wanted to be a writer. I always wanted to write fiction. My dad told me at some point, how are you going to write a book when you've never experienced anything? And this is before I joined the military. Okay. And I think he gave advice that most fathers don't give in you know, the 2000s. And he said, what better place to learn about life than the laboratory of war? And so I heeded his advice in service, September 11th, all those things were inspirations, but I would be, I'd be lying if I didn't say I also wanted to see and experience things that are beyond the normal. Right. And so I always had a plan. You know, I went back and forth while I was in, which I think a lot of people do, of whether I was going to stay for longer than six years, if I was going to go all the way to retirement. But ultimately, I knew what I wanted to do and that I wanted to write books. I got out. I was really lucky. I had, I mean, if anyone who's deployed knows the amount of money that you can essentially save. Right, right. And so I had, I had a good amount of money. I had a very supportive girlfriend who is now my wife and was getting out a year after me. Okay. And she, she told, and she, she had no degree, so she wanted to get a bachelor's degree. And she said, well, why don't we go to the same school? You get an MFA. I'll get my undergrad. But the year transition in between, she's like, why don't you work on a book? I mean, you have plenty of money. I'm fine with it. And so I was lucky. So a lot of people don't know this because an MFA is a quote unquote useless degree, which I mean, we can get into that. But MFAs are harder to get into than law schools. They don't obviously have the same volume of of applicants as a law school does. But the ratio of acceptance is way lower than any law school. And so and I was in a my MFA program, which we chose based on location and also the financial package they offered me is in the top third. And it's very competitive, but the top three are, I mean, we're talking 500 people apply, a thousand people apply and they take three people. Wow. Right. So, I mean, it was a huge, it was a huge bet to be like, Hey, let's go to the same school because, you know, we knew my wife was going to get into the school, but we didn't know if I would. So I cast a wide net to a bunch of other, no, VCU is already my alma mater. And so I, I knew a lot about it. I had a lot of friends here. It was just going to be great if I could get in. Lo and behold, I got in. So So I wrote a novel, which actually was about my experiences on deployment between getting out, going to school, and then my MFA program was longer than most and it was three years. So that transition for me, I think was a lot easier than others. And also don't forget, I have family in the military. There was just a lot of understanding about the the civilian military sort of gap. I had a lot of resources, but I would say to people that don't, 
the internet is a great thing. I mean, I guess the internet has some, is there's some awful things, but the internet is a great thing. Like you can find a community, you can find people that have been through what you've been through. Again, it's just a skill. Even transitioning well is a skill. So go find people that are doing it like you think you want to and copy them, keeping what works for you and then throwing out what doesn't. There are people out there that can help you. I think that, that alone right there is is worth someone listening to this episode because it's so true, you know? And and you're right. Really, the internet, it can, exi- it can exist for the force of good or evil. Uh, but like you said, and especially now, the time of this recording in a, in a COVID world, you know, it does so much good for people in transition to be able to connect with others, get involved in things. And like you're saying, and I tell this to people all the time, find someone like, you know, if I was just speaking to someone who wanted to go into an MFA program, I'd say find someone who's been in your shoes, who's in a program like that, or has gone to a program like that and is really writing and find what works for you, you know, out based off what they've done. There's there's a lot of very successful veterans out there, period, but many in academic that people could model exactly how you just outlined that. That's beautiful. Yeah, and I mean, the, the skill thing is really important to me because it takes away the overwhelming emotional import of leaving something you know to go to something you don't know. And I'll, I'll also say this, like you already have that skill. You left civilian life, maybe as a very young person and transitioned right. to this to this completely foreign regimented culture that's separate from modern American culture. And so you've done this. So you can you have the skill to transition into something so different, which means you have the skill to transition out of it into something that's very different. Don't let the emotions of the moment overwhelm you. Use what you already know and apply it, which I mean, basically is a lot of like, shut your mouth and listen and learn. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So a lot of like, what what would make a a good candidate at one of our schools in the military? You know, it's a lot of absorb, take some initiative and sprinkle on the correct answers when it's time. But other than that, mainly absorb. Yeah. And like you said, find a mentor. In the Navy, they're called sea daddies. Like, I don't know what they're called in the other services, but like, you already have all the skills, like ab- absorb, answer when, when it's time to answer, find a mentor to model yourself after, and you'll be fine. That's awesome. That's great. It's great advice. So let's talk about um, your, your writing. So you said that you had this period where you were writing and uh, you worked on your MFA and completed that. Were you still in the process of, of writing this book or what happened? So I finished the book. My story with that book is an interesting one to say the least. I finished the book between a rough draft between in that time period that I took between getting out of the military and going to school. Novels are long processes, unfortunately, if you want them to be good. Right. And I worked on it all through school because now I had mentors. Now I had a peer group that could read what I was writing and give me useful feedback. Right. I was also going to, you know, fiction theory classes. So I was learning the skill of my craft, which made that book inevitably much better. It was about a deployment to Afghanistan. It was about, it was a coming to, coming to age novel 
about, you know, uh, surprisingly, right, semi-autobiographical, a young spy handler, quote unquote. But it also featured, because I had a lot of experience with locals. So there was local Afghans that were characters in the book. So it wasn't your normal, it wasn't your, it wasn't James Bond. And it also wasn't um, a shoot 'em up movie. It wasn't a shoot 'em up book, Lone Survivor. It was sort of this middle road, definitely a spy thriller, but with heart and with, uh, ambiguity much like you know those wars were which i'm sure a lot of people listening to this will feel the same way about it and so i actually had a high high profile agent represent the book uh i met him at a party i took the initiative to pitch the book to him which once again i'll another plug for skills i practiced pitching i looked up how good pitches work i i tried them on anyone that would listen to me so my wife heard my pitch 5,000 times and right, back to me by time, by time I actually met this guy and pitched it to him and it worked. He asked for the book that night. He emailed me on the, his plane ride back home to New York saying he knew he wanted to represent it. And I thought I was off to the races. Like this is the dream. You get out, you go to an MFA, you write your first novel, a high powered agent picks it up. No one's ever said no to him in his life. And uh, the path looked laid out, but life is life. And so he took it out to the publishers in New York because it was sort of that, it was that book without a very clear identity. And I want the writers, perhaps the writers in the audience to hear this, like there's the book you write for you. And then there's the book that the market wants. I'm not one of these guys, but I know a lot of artists want to pretend they exist independent of the market, but you don't. And so um, publishing houses that normally do thrillers felt like it was too literary and literary houses thought that it was too much of a thriller. So yeah, the book ultimately didn't get picked up. That's fine because I knew I had the skill to write another one and I'm working on one right now. I teach. So I teach at VCU and that, that in this field, because if, if you don't know, there is no doctorate in creative writing. The MFA is the terminal degree. So you are, you have the blessing to teach at the college level um, if you have one. And so I'm doing that. I got a couple other side projects. And so I'm, I'm just focusing on writing the next best book that I can because in the military, I learned how to overcome adversity, right? I was, I was medically dropped from SEAL training for an injury. I had setbacks and other parts. It's, it's part and parcel of life. But also I think in that environment, even though there can sometimes be we eat our young aspect in the military, there's also a mechanism for failing, but dealing with failure productively so that you learn from it, you grow from it, you do something better. And that's that's the phase I'm in right now when it comes to writing novels. Yeah, that's, that's another great point you bring out, because I think everyone that's non-military connected, non-veteran, they see movies and they think it's all you you accomplish something or nothing there's no in between but you're so right that's what a lot of people don't realize is that might be the answer in the moment you might not accomplish something in the moment but there is such an overwhelming culture of a growth mindset of there's so much encouragement of hey look that was today tomorrow you can try again and if you don't get tomorrow you can try again i think that's very valuable for people to to understand and especially in the context like like you're speaking about because because you never know the the market might not have just been ready for your novel yet you know maybe the future holds it and maybe it wasn't just wasn't the right thing and now you're going to write that one that is and it's going to hit at the right time and i think that's very, very valid and something you could pass along to students 
and they could benefit more from that than they might realize. You right. Know? I mean, had I gone, had there been no bumps along the path, there, there would have been this uh, unfair preconception that that's how it goes. To everyone listening to this, I would encourage this as well. And it's going to feel goofy, but like, do it. No one's going to see it. Keep it private. But there was a mechanism for this, at least in NSW. And I'm sure this is everywhere, but lessons learned. We had lessons learned slides in a brief from an operation or mission. There would be a slide that said lessons learned. And it'll be all the things that everyone did wrong that we're not going to do again. And like, I built one of those for myself. And I mean, I didn't build a PowerPoint slide and put graphics on there. I wrote in my notebook, like, all right, this sucked, but what did I learn from it? And like, what will I do different? And like I said, one of those things was getting out of that mindset that like, I'm an artiste wearing a beret, drinking a coffee. And that like, I'm a, I create things, but if I want my books to be published and sold, I got to understand the market, market forces and businesses. So like doing that lessons learned was very, very helpful for me. And I would encourage anyone, no matter what their level of involvement in planning analysis was when they were in, take those processes that you were familiar with and taught in the military and apply them to your life now because they are effective. Absolutely. That's such great advice. So Matt, tell us a little bit about and you've already kind of interwoven this into into your story, especially right now, as far as with your experience with your writing. But when you think about your teaching and work you're doing in academics, where has your experiences in the Navy and transition into the veteran experience really informed your academic as they are now? I think it goes back to that. I'm not anti-Ivory Tower at all. I'm not anti, obviously not anti-intellectual. However, there is a problem, I believe, and, and like understand the world I'm in, I'm in the humanities. So like, if you are teaching business or you're teaching any of the any STEM, like you don't have this problem, but we have a problem of more philosophy than action. I bring a very workmanlike blue collar approach to the craft of writing. And once again, it goes down to my, the thing I will always fall back on, which is skill acquisition and skill building. And so for me, when I teach, creative writing to students that have either never taken a course like that, or they taking a lot of courses like that. So they're kind of, they have a, a very uh, woo woo idea of what writing is. Right. I break it back down to there are elements of fiction. There are forms, but not formulas that you must honor because people across all cultures are still people and certain things will always appeal to them. Right. I got that from the military in the sense that crawl, walk, run approach to learning how to do things. So when it came to interrogation or source handling, there's definitely an art to it, but you're not going to be an artist until you're a bricklayer. Right. And so right. that's the way I approach teaching writing to my students. We crawl, walk, run, we lay bricks before we start to, you know, build cathedrals. Right. That's excellent. That's excellent. Matt, tell us a, a little bit about some of the projects you are currently working on or, or some of the things you've got going on in the near future. I'm writing a novel right now, uh, work in progress. The big thing that I'm working on is I want to be able to offer MFA level instruction to people that either don't have the time, can't afford, or their life situation doesn't allow them to drop everything and attend a program for three years. Okay. And so um, I'm actually building an online I don't think legally I can call it a university, but like an online teaching program 
to offer people that. I think that MFA programs limit the genres that you can write in. So if someone wants to write, someone wants to write horror, thrillers, mystery, crime, like they can't go to an MFA because they'll, for all the wrong reasons, get laughed out of the room. But that's what people like. And that's what I like. And so I'm going to take a hybrid approach in my teaching style where I'll still teach at universities. And I still believe in the university as an institution that deepens and expands people's lives. But I also want to not exclude people. And I mean, I put veterans in this category that might have three kids and another job, but they are interested in this and they want to learn through the bricklayer skill acquisition approach. Um, And I want to give them something affordable that they can do. Plus it takes away the um, problem of an MFA being a quote unquote useless degree where you don't have to drop you don't have to use your GI Bill and you don't have to drop tens of thousands of dollars on this thing. You can get that level of instruction for something that's very affordable. And you can find that at the notmfa.com. There you go, folks. Notmfa. What was the last part? Dot com. Dot com. Okay. Okay. Awesome. Notmfa.com. I love it. I love it. And, you know, I think more and more... Uh, Matt, and I've been talking to a colleague about this. There are some market solutions like you're thinking of now that are, are dead on and they really are applicable to our population. Because like you said, there are other variables that while higher traditional higher education institutions are doing a much better job at welcoming and dealing veteran and military connected populations, it's still there's still a lot of room for growth. There's still a lot of kind of cognitive dissidence with like what do veterans really need on campus and there's still that divide. And uh, I think, like you said, for someone who really wants to get down to the nitty gritty and apply it and have something more flexible, what, what you're doing is awesome. Yeah, I appreciate that. And I think um, I think we're going to do cool things. And I hope to help a lot of people, especially veterans, with this. That's awesome. So everybody listening today, this has been Matt Crickio. We are going to add the link to Matt's project with notmfa.com and anything else that he wants to share when this episode's released, we'll make that all available. And then anything he wants to share with us in the future, uh, we are going to include it as well and keep you all up to date. Matt, thank you so much for being on Veterans and Academics today. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. And everybody, thank you for listening to Veterans and Academics. And until next time, I'm Dr. Luke McLeese. We thank you, as always, for your support. We thank all of you for listening. Veterans in Academics is an all-veteran production of Freedom and Prosperity Think Tank. Content creation is brought to you by Dr. Luke McLeese and Dr. Michael Bevers. Web development is by Osvaldo Vargas. 